Thank you very much, Rod. Good morning to you all. One commentator has written of this passage that uh, no other passage in all of Scripture matches its haunting beauty, theological depth. So uh, we really should pray as we start looking at this together, shouldn't we? Let's um, pray as we look at this chapter of God's Word. Lord God, we pray, please, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to grasp the truth of what you're like, and would you give us the faith to live in light of it as Abraham did. In Jesus' name, amen. Tests. For many of you, even the, the mention of the word will be a sort of a mild sense of panic. It's a rare breed, isn't it, who enjoys going into a test and being put to the test. Perhaps it brings memories of, of being sat in, in long lines in a cold, characterless school hall, last minute cramming the night before to get everything into your heads. If you're here as a pathfinder, you've got all the fun still to come. Few of us enjoy tests, though, do we? But, but here in Genesis 22, you, you see right at the start, we, we see Abraham being tested. And he, he faces the, the test of his life. Because here in verse 1, we see he's tested by God. Just imagine for a minute having a test set by God. I wonder how much you'd be prepared to, to put in to, to get the pass, how much last-minute cramming would you do? Or put it this way, if, if the test was based on God's promises, how would you get on with that test? How much would you gamble on God's promises being true? Take, take one promise. God's promised that Jesus is coming back. How much would you gamble on that promise? Would you be willing to risk your job over that promise? Not just being overlooked for promotion, but risk losing your job for the sake of speaking about Jesus because God has promised that he will come back. Or would you be willing to to lose a friendship? Would you risk losing a friendship as you lovingly speak to them about Jesus and they say they don't want to know you because what you said is just too offensive? Well, Abraham faces a much, much, much tougher test than either of those, doesn't he? Abraham, are you willing to risk your son for me? God says to him, will you, will you gamble the most precious thing in your life, trusting in my promises to be true? Now, it's, it's, it's not the, the first time that Abraham's been tested, when we first met Abraham back in, in Genesis 12, he's, he's tested because he's told to go. He's told to go from his land, to go from his father's household and, and go to a new land. It's, it's a test for him. And the test here echoes that first test, doesn't it? Because he's told us again to go, verse 2, to go to the region of Moria. But of course, this test is on a whole new level, isn't it? Because here he's told... Verse 2, go and sacrifice your son. It is the ultimate test that he's faced with. And we're going to see as we we look at this chapter, uh, one thing about Abraham and one thing about the God in whom he trusted. Uh, Here's the thing for us to see about Abraham. Abraham trusted God. 
That's the first thing for us to see together. He, he shows extraordinary trust in his God, doesn't he? And he does that because he's convinced of who his God is. We'll see that he is the God who is completely trustworthy. So let's look at what we can learn from Abraham together. Here's the first point. Firstly, Abraham trusted God. You see in verse 2, he's, he's told to, to take his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. We're sort of given more details than we need, aren't we? We get the point, it's his son. But just to really make sure we get this, who this son is, it's his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. And... Ten times further through the passage, we keep seeing this refrain, your son, your son, or your only son, or your son whom you love. Now, the accountants among us, or those with an eye for detail, might want to point out that it's not his only son, is it? Because he's got another son. Sorry, that might be slightly unfair on accountants. It's good to have an eye for detail. But what, what about Ishmael? Well, we've just seen Ishmael in the last chapter, if you were here last week. Uh, Ishmael has been sent away. Abraham will never see Ishmael again. In effect, Isaac is his his only son now. And this, remember, this is the son that Abraham and Sarah have been waiting 30 years to arrive. This is the son Abraham has now been told to sacrifice. But more than that, this is the son who Abraham has been told all of God's promises stand or fall on. This is the son who will bring a great nation. And Abraham is told to sacrifice him. It is an extraordinary test, isn't it? And it raises just just a few questions for us. We might think, why ever is, is God asking this? Would he ever ask me to sacrifice my son? Well, we know from the rest of scripture that, that God hates child sacrifice. This is an extraordinary test at one point in history, and we shouldn't be expecting God to put that kind of test on us today. But I I wonder whether the thing that we're meant to find even more extraordinary than than this test being put before Abraham is his response to it. Do you you see it in verse 3? See what he does? Early the next morning, he gets up, he loads the donkey, he takes two of his servants, and he, he sets off. He, he goes about doing what he's been told. And to add to the, the torture of the task that's put before him, it, it's a three-day journey to where he's going to go and sacrifice his son. This is like the most torturous three-day father-son camping trip you'll ever come across. Finally, on the, on the third day, he sees in the distance the place where he's been told to sacrifice his son. Can you imagine... After three days of trekking, what the state of his mind would be like at that point. A few years ago, I went to, to visit my brother who was spending some time in Kenya. And, uh, and we climbed Mount Kenya together, which is a pretty big mountain. Not quite as big as Kilimanjaro, but it's still four days to climb. And I remember climbing for four days with, with a few friends. And the night before we were doing the final ascent, we, we saw in the distance the peak Peak Lanana, there it was. And we were just, we were just delighted. There at last, we, we saw the place where we were going to climb up to and, and get to the top of, of Mount Kenya. Well, how different for, for Abraham as he sees this mountain peak. As he nears the point, he, 
he tells the servants to stay behind with the donkeys, with a donkey. It might have been that the climb was just a little bit too steep for them all. And he says that he and the, the boy will go and worship together in verse 5. You notice here it's, it's the boy for the first time, it's not his son. Perhaps at this point he just, he can't even bring himself to say my son. So he says the boy, literally the, the lad and I will go. And Isaac has the, the wood placed on him. Abraham carries the fire and, and the knife and the, the two of them set off. Here's the point. If I was in Abraham's shoes, I'd, I'd break down in tears if I hadn't long before. Do you notice what Isaac says to his father? He says to him, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 7. And Abraham, I'd imagine, with tears in his eyes, says, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering. Verse 8, my son. Well, we're left to guess if Isaac is completely clueless or if he's showing extraordinary obedience to his father. But whatever it was, the two of them carry on uh, up the mountain and the tension reaches excruciating levels at this point, doesn't it? If, if a film was to be made of this story, this would be the point where the, the cushion would go over your face and you could barely, barely look. They reach the place. Abraham prepares the altar. He binds his son. He takes the knife in his hand and he's, he's ready to kill his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, the son through whom God's promises stand or fail on. And at that moment... God calls out to him again, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know you fear God. See, Abraham, in the face of the ultimate tests, completely trusts God. He's he's willing to gamble his most precious son on the promises of God. Abraham's faith is, is seen in his actions. Faith, the Bible says, is more than just assenting to a few truths. It's, it's more than just listening to God's word. Not less than that, but, but more than that. James 2 picks up the, the story of Abraham. You may want to flick there or, you, or just listen if you'd rather. James chapter 2, verse 21 says this. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. But let's, let's be clear on what James isn't saying here. He's not saying that you're made righteous, made right in God's eyes by what you do. The whole of the Bible is very clear. We're made right with God only and always only by what Jesus has done. Our only hope of being right with God is trusting fully and only in Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And some of us here this morning need that truth banging over our heads again and again and again. You can't make yourself righteous. Jesus and only Jesus does that. But there will be others of us here, like the audience that James is writing to, that need to hear that faith in Jesus leads to change. Faith is is seen in in our actions. True faith, James says, is accompanied by, by deeds, by what we do. It's more than just a a mental assertion of kind of saying to yourself, yes, Jesus is is my Lord, he's my saviour. True faith is is seen in what we do in in our actions. 
I wonder if you've ever played that game, Spot the Christian. Have you played that? We used to play it when we went to Christian conferences and camps. It's a fun game to play. Maybe if you're off to Keswick or New Wine still, you might want to play it. There's often a few telltale signs. You see a guitar in the boot of the car. There'll be one in the group wearing flip-flops. You'll, uh, you'll walk past the group and smile at them and get a, a, a beaming smile right back at you. Spot the Christian should be the easiest game in the world, shouldn't it? It should be obvious to others that we believe in Jesus, that we're one of his people. It should be obvious in, in the way we spend our money, in, in how we speak, in how we prioritize our time. All those things will be different. You see... Here in Genesis 2, we see something of the the nature of faith. We see something of how difficult it is. Excruciating at points for Abraham, isn't it? It challenges us and it it pushes us outside of our comfort zone that that faith is seen in our actions. Just imagine for a minute that Abraham could travel in time and he could walk with you for this next week. Spend the next week of time with you here in Norwich. As he walked with you, would he see your faith in action? How this coming week will your faith be seen in how you live? Maybe you're sat here this morning and you're just not sure yet if if you're a Christian. Maybe as you hear of of Abraham, you think, I just can't match up to that. Well, God doesn't expect perfect obedience for us. If you've been following us in the last few weeks and, uh, and read this story yourself, you know that Abraham's life is, is far from perfect. It's checking in points. If Sarah could come and be with us, his wife, just for a while, he'd tell you of his checkered past. More than one occasion where he tells foreign dignitaries that Sarah's his sister, not his wife. He wasn't perfect. And similarly, our actions won't be perfect. We'll, we'll be checkered. And we'll battle with our own sin. But it is a word of warning if you say that you follow Jesus and there is just no sign of any difference in the way you live. Albeit falteringly, our faith is seen by our actions. So first we see Abraham trusted God. Well, Let's come and see now, uh, why does he trust God? What is it we see about God? Here's the second thing. Abraham knew he could trust God. Abraham knew he could trust God. How how was it that Abraham was able to show extraordinary trust in God? It is because of his confidence in what God is like. He knew God was just completely trustworthy. Maybe you've come across the the classic youth group illustration of of trust. Uh, One person uh, allows themselves to fall backwards and one or two people catch them in their arms. A friend of mine decided to to do that illustration but upped upped the ante a little bit. He's over six foot, he stood on a table and he decided to fall backwards into the arms of two teenagers without giving them any warning of what he was going to do. So up he got onto the table Six foot, two pretty small teenagers behind him. He, he leaned backwards. The two boys had no idea what to do and stepped out of the way. And, and onto the floor, my friend fell and seriously hurt his back. He's made sure ever since 
that he's fallen into the arms of people he can trust and given them a little bit of warning about what he's going to do. We, we see here God's arms are ones we can fall into, fall backwards into with complete trust. He shows himself to be completely trustworthy. Look down at verse 5. Abraham says to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship there and then we'll come back to you. He's, he's about to sacrifice his son and, and he says, we will come back to you. Seems slightly odd, doesn't it? Hebrews 11 helps us to understand, I think, what's going on here. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise from the dead. And it seems to be, when Abraham says here, we will worship and we will come back, it's a statement of faith. He's, he's willing to stake everything because he reasons that God can raise from the dead. It's estimated that 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith last year. 90,000 Christians. That is one Christian every six minutes. About four believers during this sermon killed for their faith. Ten or so during the whole of this service. How is it they are able to remain faithful to God in the face of the ultimate test? Because like Abraham, they can be sure that God raises from the dead. Death is not the end for those in Christ. A few years back, there was a trend uh, amongst young people, pathfinders, you may have, you may have come across it, the, the hashtag YOLO trend. Anyone, anyone come across that? Well, no, let me tell you about hashtag YOLO then. The hashtag YOLO trend was uh, you only live once. Yeah, there's a couple that are remembering it now. The trend was all about saying, you only live once, so so make the most of life. And people would post pictures of them doing extreme things, having the time of their lives, because hashtag YOLO, you only live once. The Bible says that's not true. Much better would be hashtag BYTC. The best is yet to come. Because in Christ, there is a glorious future for the Christian a future in which we will be with him. So we can stay cool now and not need to live thinking you only live once. The best is yet to come. Just consider for a moment, what, what were the toughest tests you feel God could send your way? What might that be, the toughest test? Maybe it might be losing your job or, or risking your friendship. Well, remember that God is utterly trustworthy. He promises to raise the dead, and however uncomfortable this life may be, the best is yet to come if you're in Christ. We can face loss and risk and pain for him because he's promised to raise you from the dead, and the best is yet to come. Abraham knew he could trust God because he reasoned that he can raise from the dead. But secondly, and here's the last thing to see, is here's why Abraham knew he could trust God, because he knew that God provides a substitute. Verse 8, Abraham 
tells Isaac that God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And then in verse 13, we see exactly that happening, don't we? As a, as a ram is seen in the thicket and Abraham catches him, and I'd imagine with the biggest grin on his face, sacrifices the ram instead of his son. And there are, there are several clues in the passage that, that we're, we're meant to be thinking of a, of a greater sacrifice still. Clues that point us to the New Testament. In verse 2, do you notice how the talk is of, uh, of going to a region of Maria? Well, in time, Maria became Jerusalem. So here we have a substitute sacrificed in Jerusalem. You've already seen how again and again the passage points out that Isaac is Abraham's only son, his, his, his love son. I wonder if that rings any bells for you. In the New Testament, what, is, what do we find with the Lord Jesus? John 3.16, for God so loved his one and only son. Mark 1.11, at Jesus' baptism, the father proclaims, you are my son whom I loved. Exactly the same language. Romans 8.32, perhaps the strongest echo of the lot of Genesis 22. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Genesis 22 helps us to just to feel something of the agony of a father sacrificing his son. And yet in the moment of execution, he's spared, isn't he? Yet there's no sparing for the Lord Jesus. The knife falls on him and he dies. John the Baptist says of Jesus that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as Jesus dies, as the knife is not spared on him, He dies as our substitute in our place. And this was the eternal plan of God. Romans 8, the father didn't spare his son, but gave him up for us. Can you trust God when you're put to the test, when you face the ultimate test? Well, when you stand before God on the final day, Trusting in Jesus as our substitute, we will be judged right. The Father will look at us and he will see the perfect life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and welcome us into his eternity forever. I don't know what what tests might lie ahead for you in this coming week, at home, at work. Maybe the tests use a moral test. Will you remain faithful to God and do what his word says? And in the face of those tests, don't we, we need to be convinced that Jesus is trustworthy? Abraham knew that he could trust God because he reasoned that God could even raise from the dead. And because he has provided the substitute lamb, the Lord Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you are completely trustworthy. Please, by your spirit, would that truth become a living reality in our lives. Sure and certain of what you're like, would we trust fully in you? Whatever tests we may be facing today, this week, or in the coming months. 
We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.